As you think about God and him being immortal, invisible, Christ being immortal and invisible, the spirit being immortal and invisible, our response to that should be one of willingness to hear God's word, apply it in our daily lives. And as we think about scripture, a couple agree or disagree God wants you to be free from trials and problems. Do you agree or disagree? God wants you to be free from trials and problems. Disagree. God expects you to seek to change your present circumstances. Agree or disagree? God expects you to seek to change your present circumstances. Hey, disagree? How about the third one? Animal activists are honoring God by seeking to protect his creation. And by animal activists, I'm talking about those that are going to an extreme to do all kinds of things to protect animals and almost put animals on the same level as humans. Agree or disagree? Disagree. That's what you would say. I want you to think about those three statements because they're all where life is today. We're involved in that. People are telling us, you know, you shouldn't have trials and problems. Change your circumstances, and we need to do something, you know, about animals. Jude, who is writing some 2,000 years ago, I think has something to say about it. Not directly, but indirectly because things are taught by certain men. The structure of Jude, as I have shared, as Zach has shared, can be compared to a sandwich. The bread, on the one side, being called, loved, and kept by Jesus Christ in verses 1 and 2. The meat is found in certain men being kept for condemnation in verses 3 through 16. And then the other side of the Sandwich being bread in verses 17 through 25, where you're kept by God, where Jude exhorts them how to live in light of these certain men kept for condemnation. And then the end, in verses 24 and 25, he talks about the fact that you're kept. You're secure because of Jesus Christ. So notice that there are those that are kept by God, who are saints. There are those who are kept by God for condemnation. The theme of Jude is, as secure ones in God and in Christ, contend for the faith. Contend for the faith. You're secure in Christ. You're secure in God. Contend for the faith. Why contend? Because certain men have slipped in among you. The people to whom Jude is writing, he says, certain men have crept in among you. So looking at that from the U.S. perspective, consider evangelicalism in America. Certain men have crept in. Consider local churches. Certain men at points in time may creep in. What is God's attitude towards these men? As Zach shared last week, God's attitude or thinking towards certain men 
have turned the grace of God into a license for sin and deny the Lord Jesus is very, very strong. Why is it very, very strong? Because he shares what they're like in verses 5 through 7. What are they like? It is so serious that he compares them to the children of Israel being delivered from Egypt and then destroying those who did not believe. His attitude is that of the angels who did not keep their position of authority, tried to exalt themselves, and they're kept in darkness. Sodom and Gomorrah, they gave themselves up to sexual immorality, and they suffer the punishment of eternal fire. In verse 8, he says, In the same way, these dreamers pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and slander celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Yet these men speak abusively against whatever they do not understand. And what things they do not or do understand by instinct, like unreasoning animals, these are the very things that destroy them. Woe to them. They have taken the way of Cain. They've rushed into or for profit into Balaam's heir. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. In the same way, he says in verse 8, what's he talking about when he says the same way? As you look at the flow of the context, he's talking about rejecting God's design. We find that the angels rejected God's design. They didn't keep their position of authority. They wanted to exalt themselves, and God dealt with them. The cities, Sodom and Gomorrah, didn't keep God's design. They gave themselves up to immorality and perversion. And he says, in the same way, these dreamers give themselves up to pollute their own bodies. What was true of the angels, what was true of the people in Sodom and Gomorrah in the same way? He says, these dreamers. Dreamers, interesting word. It basically means to be controlled and held captive by the power of ungodly sensual impulses, which results in being deaf to God. You give in to sensual desires, being controlled by them, and then you become deaf to God. That happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. So they're dreamers. Their minds are filled with fantasies that appeal to the sinful nature. The children of Israel came out of Egypt. They're in the desert. They didn't have all the food that they had when they were in Egypt. And what did they do? They cried to God. They wanted to be back in Egypt so they could eat of the garlics and garlic and onions and so on. Given into bodily sensual desires. And he says these dreamers pollute. What? Their own bodies. 
the idea of polluting is to give in to all the instincts of the body without any restraint. The idea of unrestrained, lustful, sensual pleasure. Just giving in to bodily desires. They pollute the body. Sodom and Gomorrah giving themselves to sexual immorality would be an example of polluting the body. Internet pornography, sitting down and just devouring that, polluting the body. Computer games that involve killing pollute the body. He says these dreamers, and the dreamers are the certain men that he mentioned in verse 4, they pollute their own bodies, and then he says they reject authority. Loot their body and reject authority. I think we knew what, know what reject means. It just means to set aside. Like a father saying to a son or a daughter, son or daughter, this is what I want you to do tonight. And son or daughter says, Dad, You may think you want me to do it, but I'm not going to do it. That's rejection. What do these men do? What do these dreamers do? They reject authority. A constituted authority, the lordship of Jesus Christ in verse 4, he says, they deny Jesus Christ are only sovereign and Lord. Rejecting authority. Rejecting Christ. The angels did that in verse 6. And I think rejecting authority in light of the flow of Jew would also be rejecting what local, local church leaders have to say. Just rejecting that. It says these dreamers reject authority. What else do they do? They slander celestial beings. A slander is a railing accusation. No, just attack with shameful scorn, scornful language. We see that sometimes in politics. You know, where one politician attacks another, just cuts them to pieces. Sometimes that happens in a marriage where a husband and wife are having a heated argument and he calls her, she calls him, all kinds of names and just cuts them down. And here he says, these dreamers slander Celestial beings. In verses 24 and 25 of Jude, the same word is used, or a celestial being involves the idea of glory. The glory of Christ and his supremacy, his sovereignty, his exaltation. What are they doing? They're slandering celestial beings. These men are slandering those that are above them, speaking accusations against those that are above them. You ever stop to consider that angels were involved with the children of Israel when they came out of Egypt? The children of Israel complained when they were in the desert. We want to go back to Egypt. And they sent slandering what God, what the angels had done. 
They pollute their own bodies. They reject authority. They slander celestial beings. And then notice in verse 9, but even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare to bring in a slanderous accusation against him. He's expanding on slandering celestial beings. Michael the archangel who is far above these certain men, these dreamers. And apparently there was a dispute about Moses' body. Remember Moses went up in the mountain to die? And apparently he was buried. But there must have been some dispute with Michael concerning the body of Moses. But what does Michael do? He did not dare to bring, bring a slanderous accusation against him. That is the devil. Here's Michael, the archangel, if you want to have a hierarchy. He's way up here. These dreamers are down here. The dreamers are slandering celestial beings. But Michael, the archangel, would not even do that. Rather, he said, the Lord rebuke you. These men are slandering celestial beings. Michael the archangel didn't even do that. He goes on in verse 10. Yet these men, these men goes back to the dreamers in verse 8, goes back to the certain men in verse 4. Yet these men speak abusively about what they do not understand. They didn't understand God's grace, so they turned God's grace into a license for sin. They didn't understand the Lord Jesus. So what do they do? They deny the only Jesus Christ, our sovereign and Lord. These men speak abusively against what they don't understand. A couple examples of speaking abusively in the religious realm today. The whole idea of one man, one woman for life within the body of Christ, the professing body of Christ, that is spoken of in a negative manner. They don't understand that God's design is one man, one woman. The whole issue of moral purity. Well, it's okay, we'll just live together, we'll have all kinds of sexual relationships. And that's okay. And that's done in the religious realm today. They do not understand, but what they do understand by instinct, like on reasoning, reasoning animals, these are the very things that destroy them. Notice, he's describing the dreamers what things they do by instinct. Like unreasoning animals. Unreasoning animals are without logic. Animals know the sensual and they respond by instinct. He says that's what these men are like. What things they do understand by instinct, like unreasoning animals, 
These are the very things that destroy them. These are the very things that condemn them. And let's go back to the agree or disagree that we mentioned earlier. God wants you to be free, free from trial and problems. I think we basically disagree with that statement. That's part of life on this earth. But yet, there is a tremendous amount of teaching that God wants you free from trials and problems in this life. Ever consider that that teaching may come from certain men? God expects you to seek to change your present circumstances. I think Scripture seems to teach that we're to respond to it in a godly way. And sometimes when we try to change it, we get into all kinds of trouble. But yet, that philosophy is promoted in the religious realm very, very strongly. Animal activists. I'm not saying don't care for your animal. It's not my point. Proverbs talks about caring for your animals. I'm talking about going to an extreme. An extreme in our culture today would be the penalty for killing an animal, we'll say a cat, is greater than killing a baby. You say that don't happen in our culture. There was a case recently in Luzerne County, where something was done to a cat, the penalty was pretty great. But we abort babies, and that is acceptable. He's talking about certain men. Teaching that comes. He goes on in verse 11. He says, woe to them. Now the word woe is a strong term. Let's go to Revelation chapter 9. Revelation chapter 9. And I realize we're leaping into the context of Revelation 9. And I'm not going to try to explain the context of Revelation 9 at this point. But Revelation 9 and verse 7, we have the fifth, sixth, and seventh trumpet judgment taking place. Revelation 9 and verse 7. The locusts looked like horses prepared for battle. On their heads they were sound, they wore something like crowns of gold, and their faces resembled human faces. Their hair was like women's hair. Their teeth were like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the thundering of many horses and chariots rushing into battle. They had tails and stings like scorpions, and in their tails they had the power to torment people for five months. They had a king over them, the angel of the abyss, whose name is, in Hebrew, Abaddon, and in Greek, Apollon. The first woe is past. Two other woes are yet to come. What is described in verses 7 through 11, John says, is a woe. A woe is something that is not good. And he says back in Jude now, woe to them. 
Woe to these dreamers. Woe to these certain men. Why? Because they have rushed for, or they've taken the way of Cain. They rushed for profit into Balaam's heir. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. Now, we're not going to go back to Genesis 4. You could spend a whole sermon on the way of Cain if you wanted to, but uh, we'll just mention a couple of things briefly. The way of Cain is basically characterized by lack of faith in worship. A lack of faith in the sense that you don't take what God says, you go your own way. Tied in with that is rejecting rebuke. God rebuked Cain. Sins that you're crouching at your door. If you do right, things will go okay. Cain rejected that rebuke. And then he attacked Abel. So the way of Cain basically is a form of worship that lacks faith in what God has said, rejecting rebuke when you're confronted with that, and then you attack those who are different, who are following God's way. In Jude's day, it was turning grace into a license for immorality. An example talking to an individual one time a few years back. We were discussing marriage and we were discussing immorality because the individual was involved in an immoral situation. And the individual looked me eyeball to eyeball and made a blanket statement about Scripture and what Scripture said about immorality and what Scripture said about marriage and what Scripture said about divorce. And I simply said, here's a Bible, show me where it says it. The individual had their form of worship attack me and rejected the rebuke. That's a self-made form of worship. Another example Confession of sin to humans. You've got to confess your sin to some human. When God talks about confession to himself, through Christ. Self-made worship. Another one that is very present in our world today is that you can be committed to Christ, but you don't have to be committed to the body of Christ. When Christ and the body of Christ are a unit. He goes on and he says, not only have they taken the way of Cain, they've reached for profit into Balaam's error. If you look at Numbers 22, we won't turn there again. You can spend a whole sermon on Balaam's error. But in Numbers 22, Numbers 23, and so on, it talks about what Balaam did. He was asked to curse Israel. But basically, Balaam's error is mixing the world system with worship for financial gain. Mixing 
the world with worship for financial gain. Do you ever stop to consider that money in religion talks? I think that's tied in with uh, the era of Balaam. Don't get too upset upset at me for some of the examples that I give. So a Christian college is putting up a new building. And they say if you give $50,000, we'll give you a nice big plaque in the building. And if you give $10, we might send you a thank you. You ever stop to consider how much money is involved in Christianity? And I use that broadly. I've been asked repeatedly within our own community when I say to someone, how about coming to Roaring Brook? Well, what will it cost me? Won't cost you anything. But their mindset is money, religion. You mean if I come to church, you're not going to make me give any money? No. If you want to give, that's a free will. You ever consider how much money is involved in burying people? Well, if I'm going to be buried by a clergy, that'll cost me some bucks. Just the whole idea of money and Christianity. Why is money such a big factor when it comes to ministries, when it comes to churches, when it comes to speakers, when it comes to musicians? Just think about these certain men, these dreamers, rushed into Balaam's heir for profit. And then Jude says they also have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. In number 16, we find Korah's rebellion re-mentioned. Korah's rebellion is also referred to in Psalm 106. And just listen as I read several verses from Psalm 106 as the psalmist speaks. And he's speaking of what happened with Korah. In the camp they grew envious of Moses and of Aaron, who was consecrated to the Lord. The earth opened up and swallowed Dathan. It buried the company of Abiram. Fire blazed among the followers. Fire consumed the wicked. And again, if you go back and read Numbers 16, we find that Korah, along with two other men, are rebelling against Moses. They didn't like Moses' authority. They didn't like Aaron's authority that God gave it to them. And they rebelled. What happened? Swallowed up. In Jude's day, 
these certain men apparently were not accepting the authority of Jesus Christ because it says they deny Jesus Christ our only Lord or our only sovereign and Lord. Think about today just a whole issue of authority. First of all to Christ but also to church leaders. I grew up at Richfield, Pennsylvania. And occasionally we get down home, we just drive around for fun, you know, just to see what's been happening, where houses were built and so on. And one day after driving around, I came back and I said, Mom, there's a new church over there in Sand Valley. She said, yeah. I said, there's a new church out here at the outskirts of Richfield. Yeah. Well, there's a new church back behind the farm where we lived when I was growing up. Yeah. I said, what's going on? She said, well, someone didn't want to listen to authority, so they split and started somewhere else. Seems related to Korah's rebellion. How about children rebelling against parents? Ties in with the issue of rebellion. For those of you who are parents and grandparents, I issue a warning in light of Jude. The way you respond to authority impacts your children and your grandchildren for life. In Korah's rebellion, Korah was not only influenced, his family was also destroyed. These certain men, these dreamers, <clears throat> were destroyed. Rather, condemnation is coming just as in Korah's rebellion. As we wrap it up, in light of verse 11, a very direct application. Some questions to ask of leaders, whether it be of local church, of singers, of radio speakers, and so on. Do they teach and practice Christ alone? Because these dreamers... What the way of Cain? Rush for profit into Balaam's error. They've been destroyed by Korah's rebellion. Another one. Is Scripture their final authority? A third one. Do they require money for you to receive an item? If you want this item, you have to send X number of dollars. Beware. To whom are they accountable financially? In our culture today, evangelical Christian, Christian Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability was established to just let organizations join to say, 
We want to be responsible. No, that might be a good one to ask. No, do you belong to that? Are they committed to the local church and following local church leaders? To whose authority do they submit themselves? Again, just some questions that can be asked about leaders. I'm going to mention some specific names. I'm not putting them in any particular category. But I think we need to ask questions on a regular basis. David Jeremiah of Turning Point. Do we ask to whose authority does he submit? Do we ask, is he committed to a local church and its leaders? To whom is he accountable financially? And so on. I'm not saying he's incorrect or anything. I'm just saying, asking. How about, I'm getting closer home now, WRGN Radio. Just asking questions. Not saying they're not on track. That's not my point. But just asking questions. How about Toby Mack, a musician? Do you ever write to a musician and say, to whom are you accountable financially? Do you follow Scripture and Scripture alone? Well, you say, I wouldn't get a response. (coughs) Well, then maybe you need to stop and say, wonder why. How about Chip Ingram? Speaking radio. Again, not saying he's not on track, but ask questions. How about Chris Tumlin? I think I got that pronounced right. A singer. Asking questions. Well, you say, is he off track? I didn't say he was. I just said, ask questions. Because of what Jude is saying. He's saying certain men have come in. How about focus on the family? Just asking some of the questions that uh, we mentioned here. Why? To be alert. Jude says some very, very strong things about these certain men, about these dreamers. And the individuals I mentioned, or ministries I mentioned, I'm not saying they're not on track. I'm just encouraging us to ask questions. I do that occasionally. Usually don't tell anyone. A few years back, I wrote a letter to Focus on the Family. I said, here are my questions. And uh, I got a reply back, and I'll leave it at that. (laughs) You know, I did get a reply back. And sometimes I'll write to another ministry, to another individual, just to ask to be alert as to where they are since I'm a leader. And lead others. So as you think about Scripture, take Jude and... Be willing to apply it in your life. And next week, Zach will pick up with some things on what these people are like. You know, their blemishes at your love feast. Again, they're among them. And that's why we need to be alert. In light of certain men, in light of dreamers, let's take our hymnals and turn to hymn 400. <laughs> 